there, welcome to ATL in 29, a Peachtree Hoops podcast where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chenard. I'm recording on a Wednesday evening after the Hawks' first preseason win. The Hawks pulled off a 196 road win in New York that was closely contested in the final moments. Perhaps the biggest and most momentous trend from the game is that the Hawks stopped turning the ball over at least through the first three quarters. Uh, Through three quarters, they'd only had four turnovers, which is pretty remarkable given that they'd had 29, 27, and 26 in their first three preseason games. I had a thought earlier today, uh, why not do letter grades? In the old days, in the early blogger days for True Hoop, uh, I would do Bucks recaps, where the recaps consisted of doing letter grades for each player. I don't know that I'll do that for every recap, but uh, I figured I'd try it today for this one because I had a couple of tweets kind of throw me back to uh, the old days. Uh, There was a tweet somebody put about Giannis and some things that he did early in his rookie and second seasons. And it reminded me of, you know, when Jabari started out in Milwaukee, you know, late in his first season, it was a question among some Bucks fans, you know, what was the future of this team and who was sort of the cornerstone? Was it was it Giannis or was it Jabari? There was actually a point in time where, you know, that was a that was a contested debate and the folks were split fifty fifty on it. Uh, But it was about the same time that we were doing those letter grade recaps. So I think by association, I ended up there today. So uh, let's do some letter grade recaps here, starting with Trey Young. And you might look at the stats for Trey Young and say, well, he made 7 of 19 shots. He made 1 of 4 threes. Trey Young gets an A. He had 9 assists and 0 turnovers. And he probably had one of the best defensive games of his young career. I know preseason games don't really count. Uh, the, the stats for sure don't don't register uh, in any historical sense. But, you know, you watch this game and Trey Young was doing things defensively. Uh, also, my dog is up and around and I think you can hear her call her. Uh, oh well. But back to Trey. Um, you know, he was fighting over screens, right? I mean, I think all preseason... Trey has been better defensively than he was last year. You know, uh, he's stronger. He makes uh, much better decisions and uh, plays with more effort when defending in transition. Uh, When he's off the ball, he's more aware than he was last year. All these things have been trends for the preseason. But I think today, you know, he took it one step further, which was he was playing physically through screens. Uh, I think that's sort of the one thing that even in the preseason, even though he's been better defensively, you know, there were times where it's like, well, okay, we still, you know, he's still got to do some something in that area. And, you know, he was definitely doing that in this game. You can kind of see it in the box score too. Uh, the Knicks are not flush with a bunch of shot makers at point guard. But Dennis Smith made one shot in 20 minutes. Frank Tilakina made one shot in 20 minutes. Uh, so not a lot of production 
or scoring from the Knicks points guards. And, you know, to be fair, Trey Young was a significant part of that. So, uh, you know, a magnificent game from Trey Young. He finished with 23 points, nine assists, no turnovers, five rebounds, had a clutch rebound late. And, you know, he scored 23 points on 19 shots and, and played some of the best defense that he's played at the NBA level. So an absolute A performance from, from Trey tonight. And uh, he was a big, a big, big factor in the win. Rolling through the box score, John Collins had 12 points and 14 rebounds in 29 minutes, made five of his 13 shots. Uh, you know, in the, in the last couple of games, it had been rough going for John. Uh, you go back to a couple of games ago against Orlando, and it felt like one of the worst games that he'd ever had. Um, you know, you look at him playing against the Knicks tonight, and this, you know, as bad a matchup as Orlando feels for him, the Knicks kind of feel like a good matchup. They play a bunch of power forwards. You know, many of those power forwards, I think, are more notable for their offense than their defense. Uh, three of them in the starting lineup somehow. Uh, so this feels like a good matchup for John. And, you know, he was good. 12, 12 points, 14 rebounds. That's, that's certainly nothing to sneeze at. Uh, I, th- I think you give that a B. It felt like there was a little bit more space for him in the paint. And it felt like Trey was doing a better job getting the ball to him with that space. So rolling on through the box score, uh, we mentioned how John had one of his worst games ever against Orlando. This was not Alex Len's finest game. Again, it's weird. The Knicks, they play three power forwards. You kind of hope that in one way or another... Playing an actual center helps you, and it did not feel that way uh, having Alex Len out there. Len made none of his seven shots. He, in the fourth quarter, you know, as we mentioned, through three quarters, the Hawks only had four turnovers. And in the fourth quarter, it started with Alex Len traveling twice, uh, and that kind of got the Hawks back on the snide from a turnover sense. Uh, the Knicks played better defense in the fourth quarter too, but that was the beginning of the Hawks starting to commit more turnovers after an outstandingly clean game up to that point. Len did have nine rebounds, four assists, two blocks, um, but he didn't feel like he made a huge impact defensively either. And when you combine that with going 0 for 7, it's a, a pretty tough night. So let's say that Alex gets a D for this one. The assists and the rebounds were nice, but in addition to not making his threes, not making the shots close to the basket, uh, having that one issue with turnovers in the fourth quarter of a close game, the Knicks, he didn't have any gravity. The Knicks really didn't pay a whole lot of attention to him, maybe in the corners a little bit, but when he was up, out beyond uh, the top of the key at the three-point line, the Knicks really weren't guarding that shot particularly closely so it's kind of hard to be impactful the Hawks as a result and we'll talk about some of the other performances but as a result they played sort of without a center late they went with John at center and Vince Carter at power forward Uh, so in the end the Hawks never really figured out how to exploit that center mismatch 
and continuing to roll through the box score, I'm just giving a you know DeAndre Hunter a default A until he does something to prove otherwise. Uh, 15 points on eight shots. He was five of eight from the field, two of four from three, three of four from the line, including uh, going one of two late with a three-point lead. So he needed one to clinch it, and he did. Two assists, two rebounds. You know, if you're going to find any kind of hole in what DeAndre Hunter does, maybe that's a little bit of it there. He's so good defensively, and I think the tendency for defensive players is just to try to finish the play defensively on the ball, off the ball, you know, just trying to finish off your opponent. But at the same time, you know, he's going to have to strike that balance and maybe get a little bit of a nose for the ball, go ball hunting once it's up in the air and try to try to just go get it because he is so big and strong that he can just go get it. I mean, he, he's that kind of player. He has the size, the stature, the wingspan, the strength. Uh, speaking of strength, you know, in the Knicks playing three power forwards, he was matched up with power forwards a lot. And again, he just doesn't get overpowered much. I think there was one play where Randall, you know, kind of bumped him back a little bit. But just over and over again, you watch him play and he's just strong. He continues to make nice plays in the pick and roll. He had one, I think it was in the first quarter. You know, he just makes the right read, gets the ball there almost effortlessly. It's it's fun to watch. He is stoic, I guess is the right word. He just doesn't show a lot of emotion out there, which I think is an interesting trend to watch. You know, what what gets any sort of show of of passion, sadness, something. He he's just out there cranking it out. <laughs> for for lack of a better term and it's going to be interesting to see what kind of what's kind of the first thing to get an emotional outburst from him so DeAndre is just going to keep getting A's and until I see some some strong reason not to give him an A he's just rock solid and I'm having a blast watching him play Cam Reddish he was plus 11 uh, he had 9 points on 4 of 9 shooting Three rebounds, one assist, only one turnover, and that was a play where he was just trying to make an aggressive drive and put his toe on the sideline. Not the worst worst sort of turnover. He had two wonderfully aware steals. Again, he has a great presence of mind when he's off the ball, and he occupies space so well. It's fun to see him out there with DeAndre Bembry because... You watch Bembry move around a basketball court, and he's just, you know, he's probably, Bembry is probably in like the top 2% of all NBA players in terms of agility and stealth and just moving gracefully on the defensive end and on the offensive end, but just, you know, defensively in space. He just moves so fluidly to make defensive plays, Bembry does. And, you know, when, when Reddish is out there with him, you know, not only does it compound that effect because Reddish can do some of that too, but I think it's just a great learning tool to have Reddish out there seeing it so that he thinks that's normal. It's not really normal. Bembry does things that are not normal on the defensive end, but Reddish has the awareness, the presence of mind, and the physical skill set to do it. So I think that's something that's that bears watching. Um, you, you want Reddish to learn those things from Bembry. Uh, 
you want him to be Bembry plus, right? Whatever Bembry does on the defensive end, but in a bigger body frame and with some punch on the offensive end. If you could get that out of Cam Reddish, that's that's saying something. Oh, I guess we, I'm supposed to be doing letter grades. I think I've done one for everybody at this point, right? Let, let's give Reddish a B. You know, there are still plays, I think, you know, offensively late. It got a little clunky, even if he was in some awkward situations in the late clock. But it's fun watching him. And, I, you know, as much as I enjoy watching Hunter in all sorts of, of defensive situations, I enjoy Reddish, especially off the ball. Uh, he's just got, he's got a nose for things and a quickness and an awareness. And it's, it's fun to watch Vince Carter. It's fun watching Vince at age 42. He had some moments in the first half. He finished, uh, with five of 10 threes. Uh, he hit a bunch in the second quarter to carry the Hawks offense in the first half. He finished with 17 points on six of 11 shooting. Uh, it was fun watching him kind of tear up Julius Randle on the defensive end uh, when Randle was on defense. That is, he he was definitely feeling it from three. And you know, it's funny watching people to react react to that. Uh, you know, anybody is like, "Wow, Vince has Vince has remade himself as a three point shooter." No, Vince is a great shooter, and he might have gotten a little bit better. As he's gotten older, but he's also been a great three-point shooter since the world had a Y2K problem. So uh, he's a good shooter. He can shoot threes. He's been shooting threes for a long time. He has the sixth most threes in NBA history. You know, he's up there with the Currys and the Corvers and the Ray Allens. Uh, there, there are not too many people ahead of Vince Carter on that list. So uh, you watch him in practice. He torches everybody in three-point contests, including Trey Young. Uh, and you might say, well, Trey isn't that good of a three-point shooter. When he's got his feet set and there's no defense and he's just shooting, Trey's a great three-point shooter, and Vince just cuts him up in those shooting contests. That's how, how good Vince is. Uh, he's an astounding shooter, and the kids will do well to learn from him. I guess if you have to give Vince a letter grade, you know, you got to dock him a little bit because he wasn't necessarily great defensively. He hit The Hawks used him in the fourth quarter, when they needed offense late, they took the centers out, made Vince the power forward, John the center. And, you know, Vince hit one of his threes late, which was huge because the Knicks had up their defense and the Hawks offense was languishing. And that three made a big difference. But uh, Vince also had no assists and four turnovers. And some of those turnovers were pretty bad. Uh, there, were, there was one pass that was really inexcusable, especially, you know, from a veteran player on a team that was trying to solve its turnover problem. He tried to go cross court late and it, it was ugly, but still he carried the offense at times when it needed to be carried. So uh, give, give Vince an A minus for that. Uh, the backup point guard, let's just go incomplete. <laughs> uh, you know, Evan Turner did stuff. Brandon Goodwin did stuff. I think it was planned that, Evan Turner was only going to play in the first half. He's trying to come back from an Achilles thing. It's exactly what they did Monday as well. Uh, Turner played the first half. Goodwin played the second half. Uh, not a whole lot necessarily great or awful from either one. Uh, they certainly didn't let the Knicks point guards tear the world up. Uh, so it's something to watch. Uh, 
I, I, you know, Turner should be the backup point guard. He, Pierce has called him that, but it still doesn't feel like he's necessarily going to be 100% at the start of the season. Uh, so we'll see. And, you know, on that end, I felt like the Hawks staggering was pretty good in terms of how they brought their bench players in. The first two subs in the game were Bembry for Reddish and Jabari Parker for John Collins. And so they stayed out there with Trey Young and Alex Lyon, and they had some shooting on the floor. They did some stuff with John Collins at center late, but they also did some of it in the first half to get some shooting on the floor. Um, you know, they started the second quarter with a lot of their starters in there. They kind of sprinkled the bench in with the starters enough and kept enough mixes that it always felt like they had enough shooting on the floor. Uh, Pierce hinted at one of these games sort of being the dress rehearsal in terms of you know, staggering lineups. I kind of hope this is what he had in mind because it, it felt like the best balance of players. Uh, you know, it helps when you have Vince coming off the bench too and Vince shooting well and catching fire. So you always feel like you've got some shooting in those cases and you're stretching the floor. Uh, so, you know, all in all, it felt like the Hawks did enough to get the most out of their, their shooting that it never felt like one of those cluster situations where everybody's just packed under the basket waiting for you. It's going to be interesting to see how much Vince stays in the rotation once Kevin Herter's back. Uh, Vince has been stealing a lot of his minutes at small forward because the Hawks have been thinner on the wing, and they've been thinner on the wing because they have not had Kevin Herter. And, you know, to be honest, you know, Vince gives you the shooting that they miss so dearly when Kevin Herter is out. Uh, but they just need shooting in general. They certainly, I mean, to me it feels like they could use Vince Carter a bit. Even after everybody's healthy, including Evan Turner, uh, you know, once once Kevin Hurt is back and pinching those small forward minutes, it just feels like you could do some stuff where you shift Bembry's role a little bit. You know, you get Vince even in a small forward, power forward, you know, one way or another, just get him out there because because of what he can do offensively. That just it has value to me in my eyes, and he's not really a huge liability defensively, so. You maybe you give a little you give up a little bit rebounding wise, but um, he certainly does a lot for the Hawks when he's out there. And if Kevin Herter takes all those minutes, I I think they'll miss him a little bit in one way or another. But we'll see. And so uh, yeah, Kevin Herter update from today. Robbie Calland was in New York and asked Pierce, and Pierce said that in Saturday's scrimmage uh, that Kevin Herter tweaked his knee, and that was a setback, and it kept him out Monday. Um, you know, the plan was for Herter to play Monday. Um, you know, that, that was always the best case scenario was that things go well, uh, you know, Friday and Saturday for Herter, Saturday being the scrimmage and that he could do stuff Sunday and play Monday. And that didn't happen. Pierce said that Herter went through a workout after practice. Uh, you know, the Hawks have a game tomorrow, so they won't be, you know, there won't be any sort of on-court practice other than maybe a light shoot. No, they won't even shoot around because they played tonight. So there's not really going to be much for him to do with the team until the weekend, ostensibly. But, you know, there is a little bit of a gap here until that first game. The Hawks play tomorrow on a Thursday, and then they don't play again until the regular season starts, which is also on a Thursday. So, you know, after essentially what should probably be an off-day Friday, you know, there'll be Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday for him to test things out 
I imagine, you know, these are going to be, uh, at least early on days where the Hawks practice and practice pretty hard. Um, so if he's ready to go in any capacity, they, they can test him out, but we'll have to see, uh, not the most encouraging news on the Kevin Herter front. Uh, Bruno Fernando played 18 minutes, two points, two rebounds, one assist, no turnovers. He was the victim of the Knicks coaches challenge. Uh, he had drawn a foul, uh, the Knicks challenge and overturned it. You know, it didn't feel like a great game for Bruno. You know, 18 minutes. It didn't even feel like he played that much. You know, you didn't really notice him out there. He didn't have a whole lot of offensive gravity when he was at the top of the key initiating the offense. The Knicks were way backed up. And again, you know, he kind of contributed to the issue of, you know, the Hawks wanted to play with a legitimate center. The Knicks did not. The Hawks never really made an advantage out of that, which was a little bit of an issue and why the Hawks wanted to go small late. Uh, but one thing that he did do, one big plus in, in Bruno's column, uh, keep an eye on this. You know, the, the Hawks were small late with the Knicks up one, shooting the second of two free throws late. Uh, the Hawks put in Bruno Fernando to get the rebound. And, you know, he did some work down low. He didn't get the rebound, but he kept some bodies occupied so that Trey Young could get it. And... The free throw ended up being missed, tried to get the rebound. And, you know, there was a question of, you know, well, why would the Hawks call timeout up one with the ball in Trey's hands? That's what you want. You want him to be the one to get fouled. But I think they called the timeout to get Bruno out of there. But for that one little bit, Bruno did his job in terms of uh, eating up space and making it so that the Hawks could get that defensive rebound. Let's give Bruno, uh, what do you want to say here? Let's give Bruno a C for the game. I saw somebody tweet something to, tonight, and it was to the effect of, well, if you play Jabari at power forward, what do you get from playing Jabari at power forward that you don't get from Vince? And neither is a whirlwind defender, but I think you do with Jabari Parker. You get more defensive rebounding. I think he can go and bump bodies inside and, and get up and get a rebound better than Vince can. You get better finishing around the rim. You get better playmaking you know you get the ability to put the ball on the deck and go in the paint and find somebody set somebody up uh, Jabari's going to do this better than Vince at this point in his career now Vince does a whole lot of other things Vince is an astounding shooter which is just so valuable especially for some of these bench units but Jabari does do some things that Vince does not interesting game for Jabari 12 points nine rebounds no assists one turnover I think there were a couple of times where he didn't necessarily make the most heads-up defensive play. Got behind the ball a little bit when he shouldn't have. But all in all, you know, 12-9 and nine off the bench in 20 minutes, that's, that's an effective game for Jabari. Made five of his ten shots. He only made one of his five threes, but his finishing around the rim was great. And when he did shoot the threes... He just shot them without hesitation. They're, they're good threes. They're feet set. No hesitation threes that you want Jabari to shoot. Uh, speaking of threes, one of the things I forgot to mention for DeAndre Hunter is that one of his threes was a magnificent reset. Uh, he was in the corner, ball goes to him in the corner, but the closeout comes quickly. DeAndre gave him a shot fake, 
one tiny, tiny dribble to his left because he didn't have room in the corner to go anywhere else. But it was enough. The, the, the fake and the dribble were enough to just shake the defender. And he got up a clean three and made it. And it was, it was uh, high-quality NBA stuff from DeAndre. Again, and another little thing that contributed to the automatic A's that he's going to continue to get until he proves otherwise. I think we've done most of our letter grades here. I think the only one left is DeAndre Bembry. It was a very, very DeAndre Bembry game. He made two of 14 shots. Some of the shots that he missed, you know, they were just little bunnies at the rim where you think, wait, how did he miss that? And how did he get the rebound and go back up and miss it again? Um, he did not make a lot of shots. And he had a magnificent game. I mean, he was just everywhere hounding the Knicks guards. It's funny that, you know, with Trey Young making some contributions, Bembry being, you know, what he is and, you know, being a vital part, especially while Herder's out. DeAndre Hunter, who's just absolutely rock solid, and Cam Reddish, who's long and aware and doing things. It's like all of a sudden, the Hawks are a pretty good perimeter defense. In fact, they may be stronger defensively on the perimeter than they are on the inside. And maybe that's not a statement that holds a whole lot of water unless Trey Young keeps it up. But if he does, this is sort of an interesting unit in terms of perimeter defense. I'm, I'm sure Lloyd Pierce is pleased if you compare what this team looks like now uh, to the types of teams that the Hawks were in February, March, and April of last season. But yeah, Bembry, like we said, 2 of 14 shooting, 6 points, but he also had 9 rebounds, 4 assists, and 4 steals. It, it almost feels like he got gypped a steal or two. Uh, he was everywhere defensively. And, you know, late, there was a play that ended up working up in the Hawks' favor, but it was essentially a loose ball, ball on the deck. And of all people, of course, you know, Bembry is the one who kind of jumps into the fray and grabs it like a grenade. Uh, of course, he then tried to pass it, which was not going to go well because there were Knicks there in every direction. But it deflected off them out of bounds, and, and the Hawks got a key possession late uh, just because of his aggressiveness and heads-up play. Uh, you have to give Bembry, I don't know, B-plus for this one. Maybe it should be higher. It's hard to give somebody a... a a better grade than that when they shoot two for 14 from the field. But in all other aspects of the game, Bembry was pretty darn magnificent. So you have to give him a pretty high grade for that one. Let's go with a B plus. Let's close with some audio because let's be honest, I don't know how to do a proper sign off. So last week I asked Lloyd Pierce about, you know, when an offensive player drives to the rim, how closely do they call that offhand? You know, that little chicken fighting that especially the point guards do, Troy Young especially, you know, it seems like something that's important to his game, that in order to make space, he can kind of poke the defender in the chest a little bit. He got pinned for it a couple of times in his first game, but then against Orlando, he kind of flipped it around and drew a couple of fouls on the opposing point guard that way. So I thought it was an interesting thing to keep note of, and I wanted to ask Lloyd Pierce if he felt like it had been something that was called tightly in the preseason. 
So subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff. Hope to have you back again soon. And here is Coach Pierce. I know the league does uh, the official points of emphasis each season, and to be honest, they're I haven't the looked same. at them yet. They're the same? Traveling. I was, movement. I was going to ask you about when guys drive to the rim, they're offhand, the one they're not dribbling with. Have they been tough on that the first couple of games? And if so, what would you advise your players on that um, kind of thing? I don't think so. I know Trey gets called for it every once in a while, and you know you want to fight for him, but you also understand it's, you, know, you, you and you're the guy initiating it, you're going to put yourself in jeopardy at times. And that's one of his. And our offensive players are crafty in our league. Uh, they all are crafty about initiating contact and, and getting to the foul line. I'm encouraging him to do it. Like I said, we need to find guys that will be able to get to the foul line. And it's hard to defend in our league now because they don't allow a lot of contact. And the offensive players do have the advantage. So we want to try and create that advantage as well offensively. Um, I don't think it's been a... I thought last year freedom of movement was a, a, a big point of emphasis. Catching a guy at the elbow and he doesn't have the basketball, but your hand wrapped around his waist, they were blowing the whistle immediately. I haven't seen any of that this year, so I like it. I'm glad they're not calling it. I, I wish they allowed more contact in our league, to be honest with you.